This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. If, if God is working on you, what are you working on? If God is working on you, what are you working on? Let not our to-do list exceed the to-do list that God has for us. We have to be constantly reflecting and thinking about what God has given us to do rather than simply what we are doing. If we're not careful, we might do things that gain the whole world but lose life. We must be careful that we don't distract ourselves away from God. We don't work ourselves away from God. There are, of course, potentially good things. Potentially good things like work, like hobbies. Things that we enjoy to do, like maybe watching movies and TV or social media or the news. Things that could have some potential benefit for your life. They can become distractions for what God has for you. Distractions for what not just God has for you, but who God has created you to be. And understanding that identity that God has created in you. There's also tempting things, not just distracting potential good things, but tempting things like unbiblical theology, unbiblical actions inside the church, and divisive language. Sometimes the devil uses things in our lives, things in the church, twists them just enough that they can become a distraction from who we are in Christ and what he has called us to do. There are many things that can distract you. I think you would agree with me that there are, there are enough things in our culture to distract us from what God has for us. Would you agree? There are enough things. We can find something to do to escape what we are facing and distract us from the realities of the world. But I want to focus in specifically on one. You might ask why on one in particular, because it uses a third of our day. On average, people spend anywhere from 8 to 10 hours on screen time. This means that you may be like, what? where are we going with this? Just walk with me through this. Think through this. I just want to process through this with you today. I understand if you're joining us virtually, you may be like, I'm literally watching on social media right now. I understand. Just walk through this with me, okay? Four, somewhere around four hours a day we spend on our phones scrolling or looking. Now, the majority of things are social media or texting others. That's what most people spend their time doing. Then it's playing games and researching things. But we spend somewhere around four hours a day on our devices, 10 hours total on screen time. That amounts to somewhere around 56 hours a week, which is over two days of your week, are spent on screen time. And uh, around 100, or 2,912 hours a year on screen time. That's over 121 days that we spend looking at a screen. 121 days. It's a third of our life. If we spend somewhere around seven to eight hours sleeping, which is what's recommended, then we've spent two-thirds of our lives either sleeping or looking at a screen. Now, I know that not everybody's in this position. I know that we are all, maybe some of you have flip phones, like my grandparents, who keep their phones literally in their car. I love it. It's, I mean, we have to call our home phone. I didn't even know those existed any, anymore, but they have home phones, right? And so I understand that not everybody's in the same situation, but what we do have to ask is how are we being distracted? What distracts us in this world? Maybe yours isn't screen time, but maybe you are like the average American adult or teenager and you spend somewhere around eight to 10 hours looking at a screen. If our purpose in this life is to bring glory to God and enjoy his goodness forever, 
then we need to seriously ask if we are being distracted from our purpose by screen time. I know that I'm assuming that surfing social media is not bringing glory to God. I recognize that that's an assumption. And I think that some people, certain people have jobs, have things that maybe in your Christian walk, you utilize technology or utilize something that others might see as a distraction. You're utilizing it for the glory of God. Like in the past service, we had a guy in there. He's a good friend of mine, news in there. He's, uh, he, he does marketing. So he is on a laptop constantly, right? So I understand that different people's jobs entail different things. What we need to ask today for our lives are what is distracting us from pursuing after God. And maybe this is just me. I mean, I found out that I'd be preaching this series on Thursday. This is very atypical for me. Uh, we plan out sermon series a, a year uh, or six months in advance. Uh, but we decided that uh, our pastoral intern, Nick, I'm super excited about this. He's going to preach in two weeks. But it's the passage I was going to preach today. So we bumped it back two weeks. And you are going to be blessed. We were blessed on Wednesday to be able to hear this sermon. We're going to work with him. Uh, and, and he's going to bring that sermon. Because I thought... I think this is right. I think that uh, as he's growing in Christ and discovering what God has for him, I think it's right for him to bring that sermon rather than me take his notes and his sermon and preach it to you. I wanted him to be able to be the one that preaches it to you, and I'm very excited about that. But this is atypical for me to come to this, so I want to just ask you to join me in on this conversation. What are we distracted by in this world? What is it that is consuming our time and our finances and our thought life that is making us distracted from the thing that God has called us to in the beginning? I think you could make the argument that portions of social media, TV, and advertisement viewing uh, could be a part of God's glory, which we've talked about. But when the world is lost and dying, the oppressed are not being cared for, and people are not being discipled, it's hard to argue that we can use an excessive amount of time on screen time rather than doing what God has called us to do. Maybe if everyone was discipled, all the oppressed were cared for, everyone was a a believer in Christ, maybe if we're in eternity forever, and God was like, hey, look, you use as much screen time as you want, maybe then we could zone in on screen time. But for right now, I believe that we have a mission. Do you believe with me? We have a mission God has called us to, an identity that God has given us that is greater than the consumption of our minds into a screen or into any distraction that God has Eliminate it out from our life, and the devil wants to tempt us with. So I'll ask it to you like this. What do we gain on this much amount of technology? What do we gain from working excessive hours, being distracted by the things of this world, from the reality of what we have, trying to escape into things? What do we gain? What do we gain when we consume our minds with other people's lives on social media and the world's travesty from the news? So literally asking the question, what do we gain from it? I think the answer is we gain the world. We probably should not fool ourselves to think that we don't. In the palm of our hands, they say that you have the world in your fingertips, right? Like that's the advertisement. With the, with the creation of, uh, so, of uh, social media, but news on your phone, with the creation of iPhone, and even more than that, with all the different gadgets that we have, we have the world at our fingertips, they say. So I'm not, I'm not going to actually fight you on that. I think, in fact, what we do gain is we gain the world, access to the world, access to information, access to whatever you want in the palm of your hands. It's quite unbelievable. So what do you gain? I think the answer is the world, but Matthew 16, 26 says this, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? You see, I think we might actually gain the world by knowing so much. But if we stop to ask what we're losing, we, might, we gain so much from the things that we have in this world. We put things around us that bring things to us that give us different things. We gain so much. But have you paused to ask the question, what are you losing? What if gaining so much actually means, as Christ would say, losing your life? Now, of course, you know with me in Matthew 16, he's talking to Peter and all the disciples there, but you know, he's just addressed Peter specifically because Peter was distracted. 
The mission of God that the Father had for the Son, Jesus Christ, was to go give up his life on the cross, to die for the sins of man, that we might have life. Jesus knew the mission, and he was committed to the mission. Nothing was going to deter him from that mission. Nothing was going to distract him. But Peter was distracted, and Peter became a distraction. And so Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16, he says, Peter, you're thinking about human concerns and not God's concerns. If you want to follow after me, you can take up your cross, deny yourself, and come follow after me. If you want to find life, that's what you can do, Peter. You've been distracted. You're thinking about human ways rather than God's ways. And he culminates it in by asking him that question. Peter, what is it going to gain you? What is it going to profit you? What are you going to be, what are you going to have if you gain this whole world but you lose your life? Because you know Peter's goal. We've talked about this before. What does Peter want? He wants to rule with Jesus. He wants to rule over the whole world. He's ready for Jesus to ascend to the throne to be ruling over the whole world and he's going to be sitting there right beside him. Peter wants the whole world. So Jesus says, what, what, what is it going to profit you, Peter, if you're going to gain the whole world, but you lose your life? So I'm asking myself this, and I'm joining you in on the conversation. I hope you'll join me to ask the question, what is it going to, gain, what is it going to profit us? What are we going to gain from having the world? And then what are we going to lose? You see, the reality is both physical and spiritual. We, we try to deny this, and I think actually our culture tries to deny that there's a re- physical and a spiritual reality to this. There, there, it cannot be random that there's a direct parallel between, in fact, secular uh, sociologists note this down. iPhone was created in 2007. There's a direct parallel between when the iPhone was created and depression, loneliness, and suicide. There's a direct parallel. Since the creation of what gives you the whole world makes you more connected than you've ever been, you are more lonely, and you feel more without. The thing that was created to give us uh, the greatest connection possible is now you, you communicate with a swipe. Rather than having personal communication where we have to converse, we have to actually talk, we have to see each other, understand uh, how we verbally communicate, but also how we non-verbally communicate. Now we simply just swipe. We can send one word text and conversation be over. We don't have to see the joy in someone's face. We can see a smiley face on a screen. What we thought would bring us connectedness and what thought would bring us relationship has actually demised into loneliness, depression, and suicide. And this is not just me noting this down. This is not just your pastor on a stage. He's a sociologist. People are reading the culture. People are reading people. And people and doctors who are actually seeing people depressed, lonely, dying. But I don't also want to just attribute this to the iPhone. I don't think, I think that gives them too much credit. One writer would say that the, the app on the back of the iPhone looks like uh, Eve just ate out of it. I don't want to give the Apple too much, uh, iPhone too much credit. Also, I think they may pull me from the <laughs> social media world if I do. Um, I don't want to give them too much credit, but also want to recognize this. Church attendance is down. It's, it's actually in direct parallel to the creation of social media in the technology world. Now, you may think, well, what's the big deal with that? How do we fix, how do we replace the relationships that are generated in the church? Look, there's no greater love than what Christ has had for us. In fact, in Scripture, it calls us that if he has this great of love, what kind of love should we have for one another? There's no greater love than what we ought to have in this room for one another. There's no more powerful, no more sacrificial, no more dedicated and caring love than what we have for one another in this room. When we step away from these kind of relationships, when we step out of these relationships, it's hard to find in the world a true love. A love that not just encourages you to be whatever you want to be, but inspires you to be what God has called you to be. Not just encouraging you to do what thinks you, what, what pleases you, what fuels you, but instead inspires you to have a true identity and hope and peace that is found in something other than you. If our hope is only in ourselves, I know that I'll fail myself every single time. Would you agree with me? I can't act like I'm, I'm, I've got every solution figured out. I want to. By nature, I like to. But I've recognized in my, in my life, if I'm the greatest hope I've ever had, I'm going to live in despair. So I found a Savior. I found a Savior that is greater than me, that has more hope than me, hope has more peace in me. 
But oftentimes I, and I don't know about if you are the same way, but oftentimes I find things to distract me from the truth that God has given me, from the hope that my God has given me. See, since 2007, the introduction of the iPhone, like we said, we are statistically more lonely, depressed, and suicidal than ever before. The United Kingdom, in fact, created a, po- a political position. They call them ministers over there. It's called a minister of loneliness, spending hundreds of millions of euros every year um, on loneliness. Because the United Kingdom is more lonely. They spend less screen time than us, like by 20 minutes. They're more lonely than we are. It's unbelievable. Our world is, has found this trend towards depression, suicide, loneliness, found this trend towards distraction from the reality of what they actually deal with internally. And so they're spacing out from what, it, what exists and trying to escape what exists. And they're finding what we would call in the church their own hell on earth. It's insane. Like, think, think about this. Teens today have more than they've ever had before at their, in their fingertips. Think about what you had as a kid. I think about what I had as a kid. They have nicer stuff, better stuff, more expensive stuff, more access to help with stuff, more access to support with stuff, and yet they are more lonely, depressed, and suicidal than ever before. There's more therapeutics. There are more counselors. There's more options than we've ever had before. And yet more people find themselves in anxiety, worry, depression, suicide than ever before. I wouldn't act like I have all the answers, even though I would love to. But I believe that we are distracted from the one who does. See, I think iPhones, not just hating on those, although I am (laughs) pro-Android. We can ask any question we want to the Google search bar. But we forget something. The Word of God has told us that all wisdom comes down from heaven. From above. We've always had access to wisdom and truth. We've always had access to the one who contains wisdom and truth. If we want to find wisdom and truth, it's not going to come by a device. It's going to come from the Lord. But when we're distracted, the rest of the world is going to zone in on exactly what they've been taught to find truth from. They're going to do what we do. The majority of the church does the same thing. We all find information and truth in the same way. Google search or your preferred social media platform or your preferred news platform. I think there's a greater truth. I I, I hope that as a church, if we are distracted, I hope we'll recognize that if we have time for four hours on a cell phone, but no hours for a discipleship group or a life group or a Sunday morning service, we have really mixed up our values. I mean, you've got to really think about it. I'm, I'm not trying to pressure anybody. I'm trying to look at my own soul and like, just like talk with you about it and engage God's word. Um, but if, if we're pushing three, four hours on a screen and we don't have time to pursue Jesus Christ or relationships that are rooted in Christ, I think we've tricked ourselves. I think we actually have a different God. Right? It's not fair to our God. It's not fair to our God to pursue. In fact, in Matthew, he would say you can't worship two gods. You can't serve two gods. We have to make a decision today. So it looks like this. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you want to find? I had a few people shout out different things in different services. In the first service uh, this morning, early this morning, someone said, coffee. <laughs> it was early. I understand. What's the first thing you are looking to find when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing that you are seeking at the beginning of your day? And I don't know, are, are you with me on this? In the middle of the day, you have like tons of to-dos. Like you look at that to-do list and you love, like me, to, to knock off that to-do list. Every time you press it, it makes that nice ding. And you're like, yes, accomplished that one. <laughs> Believe it or not, 
I know some, uh, my staff might be like, mm, he doesn't do that. <laughs> I'm the visionary. I love to talk to people. Getting into the do list is a struggle for me. But when I'm chomping at them and getting them done, are you with me? It feels good to just like be pushing through those to do's. And then there's one moment. It's that break moment. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like that moment where you're like, okay, I've met with everybody. I need to meet to. I've been chomping through these to-dos. I just need to take a pause, that healthy pause, that pause, and you just go, okay, take that breather. What are you looking for? It's in that moment that we find out what we seek, right? <clears throat> what are you seeking in that moment? What are you looking for in that moment? What do you seek first? Matthew 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. What are you seeking first? You see, I don't think that most of us, I think we would agree, most don't want to be miserable, depressed, lonely, and anxious. Most of us don't want to live in gossip. Most of us. Now, I understand that the reality is some uh, want to use that as an excuse or enjoy the attention that it brings. I'm, I'm, I recognize that. I've worked with enough teenagers in my life to understand this, okay? But I do understand that there's a good majority, not all, but there's a good majority who live in some form of loneliness, depression, anxiety, worry, struggle with thoughts, who want to escape it. Like, want to honestly get out of it. Uh, uh, seek out ways to get out of it. Look for people to help out of it. Like, escape is what we want. The problem is what the world would tell you is that if you want escape, you should escape into these distractions. We distract ourselves from our depression, loneliness, and anxiety, only winding up to push ourselves further into despair. The problem is distractions don't heal, they postpone. Distractions don't heal, they postpone. It's like this, if, you, if you're having a heart attack, you go to the emergency room. In the midst of a medical emergency, don't distract yourself. Don't escape that reality. But this is what the church and the culture is doing largely. We are sick. The, church, the culture is sick. Even the church has been affected by this sickness. We often call this sin or evil or temptation or something of this nature. The results of temptation. The product of our own evil or hell on earth. Whatever you found. These things have, have made us sick and has made this culture sick. And if we're not accessing the right way to escape this, we're going to only distract ourselves from the reality of our own problems. It will not fix it. It will only postpone it. So distractions don't heal, they postpone. But you, you have a greater healing. You have a greater identity and a greater mission. We don't have to be distracted by the advertisements of this world to find hope and love and happiness and all these different things. We've always known where it's found, and we've always known who's the provider. You were created by God in Christ Jesus to be loved and to love. It's the beautiful creation of God ordained and adorned by His Spirit with power, kindness, contentment, passion, the taste of His creation, the smell of His creation, being able to see His creation, enjoying His good creation. We've been given so much, yet we get distracted by so many things. You were given purpose. You have a distinct purpose to steward over his creation and people. You were given relationships with friends and a spouse. Friendships that could bring truth, encouragement, growth. Everything we need in Christ Jesus can be poured out through his church by the different diversity and unity that we have. God has given us what we need for life and love. 
You have more wisdom and knowledge available by simply asking God than you could ever have by a device. And get this, I think this is so transformative. Even if you die on this earth, God has created a new body for you in eternity. All those things have been promised for you. All those things have been given to you by Christ Jesus. The Father dispensing them through the Son and the Holy Spirit living in you has brought these realities for you. All these things are provided for you. Do you believe this truth? It says in Matthew 6, all these things will be provided for you, but if what? If we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be provided for you. When we seek first the things of this world, we are going to be provided the things that the world gives, temporary fulfillments. Stuff that doesn't last. Relationships that don't last. That's why we have Christ-centered relationships. Things that endure. Hope that endures. Kindness that endures. Care that endures. I've seen it with my own eyes. Have you seen it? Have you seen it through COVID? Like I've watched brothers and sisters in Christ care for one another, provide for one another, taking meals, sitting with, encouraging, standing beside putting their hands on each other, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the midst of a pandemic is no easy order, but God has called the church to do it, and I've seen brothers in Christ do it. And then I watch other friends, guys I love, families I love who have been suffering with the virus who simply don't have people to care for them. It's, it's those moments that I see a difference. I hope that the the church will be vastly different than the world. In these kind of moments, this is where we are put on the stage, a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, the salt of the earth, when the world is watching us to see what we will do, and we're distracted. So I want to ask you three important questions. First, what are you seeking? What are you seeking first when you wake up, when you have pause moments, when your thought life just slows down for a moment? In the intentionality of the busyness of this world, what are you seeking first? Second, what have you gained from seeking it first? It's an important question. What have you gained from seeking that first? Come on, church, do this with me. Write this down. Process through this. What do we gain from seeking it first? And third, what do we lose from seeking it first? Again, man, it's, it's so critical to ask that question. Not just what are we gaining, not what just how does this feel for me, not, not man, does this feel good? Does somebody, say it, does somebody else say this is good? But what are you actually losing from it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his life? Psalm 119.15, y'all, before I share this verse with you, I think one of the greatest travesties of the church in the Western civilization and maybe across the globe is our rejection of meditation. It's foreign. Everybody who comes in our church will ask me at some point, man, I just don't understand. Like, I don't think I've ever been trained in any other church to do this, all these different things. Y'all, it doesn't take much time. If you'll just read the Bible, you will see meditation throughout it. And you may say, man, that's just foreign. I don't get it. It's just different. Like literally other religions, other cultures have adopted it and are using it for promotion of different ideals. and things. Okay, just because the world takes something and twists it doesn't mean we give it to them. Okay? If the Word of God tells us to do something, we ought to do it. The question is not whether or not we will meditate. The question is, what will we meditate on? Everyone is filling their minds and their hearts with something. That's what meditation is. It's not simply emptying your mind. It's filling it with God's word. What are you filling your minds with? Today, we, saw, we call it scrolling, searching, looking for answers to fill our minds. They say uh, scientists, sociologists, and 
uh, people that study the brain and how it interacts with information say that your brain adapts so well. It can shift so well. It's so good that it is actually transformed. Our, our minds have shifted. What, we, what it does is <clears throat> instead of retaining information for long times, it'll hear information, receive that information, and then kick it out quickly so that it can take something else. Because we live in a world where we're getting so much information that our brains can't handle it. We have patterned our minds to not think on things for a long time. We've literally rejected meditation and stopped it from happening. But we let certain things sink in. What are you letting sink in? What are you holding long term? What do, you, what do you keep in your mind for a long time? What have you let sit in your heart? Take up ownership in your heart. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Y'all, I could go through a list I have before. I won't right now. But when you look at Proverbs, meditation is throughout it. When you look at the beginning of Psalms, the very first Psalm, it says meditating on God's word day and night. When you look at Joshua, the first thing he did before he went to do what God had called him to do, meditate. What am I going to do? I don't know. I need to think about it. I need to let God's word infiltrate my mind and heart to transform my actions so that I might go do what he's called me to do. I will meditate on your precepts. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This is Paul writing to the church of Colossae and other churches. Jesus has already said to Peter, you're thinking about human ways, not God's ways. Paul comes back behind him and says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Don't we see a pattern here? Do you see the pattern with me? Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. What are you setting your minds on? What are we spending the majority of our time setting our minds on? Philippians 3, 19 through 21. This is so raw. Like, this is Paul, one of the most, I mean, it's the encouraging letter. Philippians is so encouraging. But this is one of the most harsh, like, honest, real moments Paul has in his letters. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. Man. Like, y'all feel that? Can you imagine somebody walking up to you and saying that? Man, you're, you're headed for destruction. Your God is your stomach. Your glory is your shame. Do you know what that means? The only glory you have is the worthlessness you, you actually are. Their glory is their shame. And look what he follows it up with. And they are focused on earthly things. Like that's, that's in that category. That's that significant that we put in their category. They are focused on earthly things. The things of this world rather than the things of God. What are you meditating on? What are you setting your minds on? What are you focused on? They are focused on earthly things. You are to set your mind on things above. You are to meditate on God's precepts day and night. What are you meditating on? What are you setting your minds on? What are you focusing on? We should not think as a church that something that is destroying the world will save the church. Right? Come on, church, y'all with me? We cannot believe that something that is destroying the world will save the church. You might be like, man, I understand that, but what if the, what if the average American in a church is doing the same thing that the average person outside of the church is doing? What if we are being distracted in the same way as the world? What if we aren't living any different? And then all of a sudden we go, okay, I get it. I'm distracted just like the rest of the world. And the things that are the distraction are actually the end. They're the destruction. They're what is causing depression, loneliness, suicidal thoughts, all these different things. And we go, okay, well, okay, if I'm doing what they're doing and we're all headed to the same place, maybe I ought to be a little bit different. Man, maybe the church has got to focus on something else, meditate on something else, set our minds on something else. We cannot look for wisdom and truth in this world when we know that wisdom and truth are Jesus himself. Like literally, he's defined as truth. John chapter 14, verse 6, 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth. Jesus is the truth. In John chapter 1, it says he's the wisdom, the logos, the word. Jesus is the word we need, the truth we need. He is the life we need. He is the way that we've all been looking for. So if we know the truth, if we know the way, if we know the life, if we know the wisdom, why do we look for it everywhere else but in Jesus? Why do we spend our days, our lives, searching for answers in all the wrong places when we know the right place? Maybe it's just me, not you. But why do we let things become distractions from the truth, the way, the life? Why do we spend hours scrolling on social media in seconds praying and meditating on God's Word? It's no wonder that we have a world full of lives and subjective truth when we are distracted from the truth. It should not surprise us when we see a world full of lies and subjective truth when the church is distracted from the truth. I want you to remember these three things. The world will lie to you to distract you from the truth. It cannot be a surprise when all advertisements, like, is anybody still surprised when clickbait is actually not true? It's fascinating. In the 70s, there's a guy who was reading into culture, and he said, uh, he, he said that the news agencies will say, and now, to make you think that the next thing is bigger than the past thing. They could literally be like, hey, just a heads up, there's an asteroid coming to the world that's going to destroy everything. And now, the Baltimore Ravens lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And everybody's like, oh, that's even worse. You know, <laughs> what? This is strategy. No, I mean, seriously, people are still surprised. Like, ah, oh, clickbait. It's fake. It's so frustrating. Yeah, they've been doing it for a long time. Like, it's going to be frustrating. You know what's not clickbait? Jesus. The Word of God doesn't have clickbait in it. Everything that it says is actually true. In a world of social media, we worry more about what other people say about us and what the news agencies say about the world than what God actually has to say about us. And then what God actually has to say about the world. Not only is the God victorious over the world, but we are more than conquerors, Romans tells us. Do you ever feel defeated? If social media and the news wants to make us look like we're all failing and losers and like done, let me tell you something. God's word has a different story. You are more than conquerors. If you woke up this morning, you conquered. Like, like you got up again. Like you have breath again. You have what God gave you. Again, remember this. The world will lie to you to distract you from the truth. Second, the world will make you worry about what they say to distract you from what God says. Did you know, and that's connected to the past, like these are all interconnected. One thing leads to another. Did you know that in 2025, there will be more words on databytes and I can't pronounce, I think it's exabytes is the large one. There's going to be like five exabytes, which is bigger than gigabytes and terabytes and all that stuff. I don't know all those details. You can ask Nick about that. He probably knows. Um, there's going to be more words on those, those, those things than have ever been spoken since the beginning of time. Like that we have spoken to one another. You know what that means? We have access to whatever we want, to prove whatever we want, to say whatever we want, to get frustrated at whatever we want. If you want it, it's out there. You can find it. But do we want that or do we want truth? You know what I'm saying? Are we seeking those things? Are we seeking what God has for us? The world is going to give you what you want. There's enough words that could take up all of the breath and the vocal production and, and showing it through our nonverbal actions. All of it combined into one. You can find it. But I encourage you to find the word 
Remember this, the world will distract you from the word with a word. The world will always distract you from the word with a word. We must, as a church, just ditch the distractions of this world and pursue Christ. Why is this so bad? You see, this week, I want to look at the problem. Next week, I want to look at the solution with you. We talked a lot about the problem today. But I want to talk to you about a plan, a solution, what Christ gave us from the Word of God for how to focus in on Him, pursue after Him in the midst of all of these distractions. All right? We're going to look at that next week. But if you were to ask me, what's the big deal with all this, Matt? Why is this actually a problem? The problem is that we fill our minds with the lies of the world rather than the life of the gospel. As a church, that is the problem. God has promised you salvation. He's given you salvation. When we focus and we fill our minds up with the things that set our minds, meditate, focus on the things of this world, we lose focus on the truth and the life of the gospel. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 14 tells us this. It says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like it's coming. Set your mind on these things. The beginning of Philippians tells us this too in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. What are you setting your mind on? Are you thinking about the life of the gospel or the lies of this world? That's, the pro- that's a big problem. Uh, the second problem is this, that when we're focused on the lies of the world, we fail to accomplish the mission of God. God has given you a purpose. God has given you a mission. You have a distinct mission. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Remember who that is. 2 Timothy is written by Paul. Paul's the same guy that said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He's the same guy that said their God is their stomach and their end is their destruction and that they should focus on God's concerns, not man's concerns. That's the same guy. Then he comes back and he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Why? Why did Paul accomplish the mission? Because he kept his mind on Christ. When he talks in 1 Corinthians about what he preaches, he says, I preach Christ and him crucified. I preach Christ and Him crucified. Single preaching. I know what I'm preaching. I'm preaching Christ and Him crucified. Paul knew what, the, what he had to do, and he did it. He stayed focused. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. Are you focused? Are you meditating? Are you setting your mind on things above? If there's children in the room, I'd encourage earmuffs. Um, but brothers and sisters, I believe that this mission is too important. Like real talk. This mission is too important. We have things in our culture that we are dealing with today. The task at hand is too important. It's too important for us to get distracted. If you're distracted right now, like I literally would challenge you. I know that it's a struggle. Focus in for just a second. I want to tell you something. God has given you a purpose and a mission a distinct mission. He has given you a mission to set the captives free, to provide for the oppressors, to bring the gospel to those who are sick. That's what Christ came for, for the sick, not just the healthy. If this is what Christ has done, has he not called us to do it? And if he has called us to do it, what are we being distracted by? If Christ has called us to set the sex slaves free, what have we been distracted by? Pornography. If he can just keep our minds set on pornography, then we'll forget sex slavery. The evil of pornography is sex slavery. But if one looks good, it'll override the other. Think about this. We are distracted by so many different things. For instance, racism. You do, like, brother, guys, racism is a spiritual issue. This is a spiritual reality. Like, people don't even want to talk about this in the church in the morning. I'm going, hey, we are the ones who talk about this. Like Paul himself said that we've broken down all walls of hostility to the division is gone, that God has brought together Greek and Jew, and by faith we've been combined into one. That's why we talk about that in here. I'm not going to let no political gains change me. Isn't it so easy to be distracted by that, though? People use this to, to further their own kingdoms and to further their own causes and to further their own positions and authority and leadership. you got to ask, do you really care? Because, man, if we care, like, like if we're the church, we have to care about this. 
We have to. This is part of God's kingdom. The mission is to be sent into those who are oppressed, those who have been enslaved, those who cannot fight for themselves, to defend themselves. We are the ones who break down the walls of hostility. Look, justice is under attack. It doesn't take much to be able to look into our culture and see that justice is under attack. You know why? Because we're being distracted. The church gets distracted in all the, the battles and the social media contention and the political contention and all these different things. Y'all, we are the justice holders. Like, we hold justice. We know what just. You don't have to be distracted. You don't have to be even confused. The just God is our God. The God who's given what is righteous and unrighteous, the God who brings down the verdict at the end day, that's your God. We don't have to be distracted by the conversations of the world. But we so easily get distracted because justice becomes a personal feeling. What is right and wrong? What do I think is right or wrong? When I hear somebody say that, I'm like, man, you're not the bearer of justice. I'm sorry. You are not my God. You're not my King and my Lord. You don't write what is good and what is bad. And if you do, we are all in trouble. Justice is not a personal feeling. It's a universal declaration that God has given us. Some things are easier than others to get distracted by. In the church, we don't want to talk about certain things. We don't want to talk about the refugee crisis because we get distracted by national interests. We start to become political opinions rather than biblical opinions, biblical truths, right? Like the refugee crisis isn't, it's not up for all. Like, we can't, like, act like this isn't a biblical reality. If you read through the Bible, there's, there's no option here. It's not that we can or can't care for the refugees. It's a biblical mandate. Like, this is our mission. Here's what you can differ on. How to do it. I know there's different opinions. Even in the Bible, they do it differently in different times. That's fine. What we can't debate is whether or not we are called to do it. We don't let the world dictate whether or not it matters. We don't let the world dictate whether or not a refugee has validity as a human being and as a child of God. Right? This is your mission, but we get distracted from from it by national interests, by financial dealings, by political gains. Righteous marriage, like a God-centered marriage... It's not up for debate, but we get distracted so easily by the things of this world or by corrupted minds and and struggling hearts by young people who have not been led well, cared for. Justice is not a personal feeling. Righteous marriages are not up for debate. Not up for debate culturally, not up for debate with sociologists, what is healthy and good for a a society, but most importantly, it's not even up for debate with the Bible. But we get distracted so easily by the political gains and by the national frustrations. And we start to look at things outside of the church and ask questions and and start to look at these things and go, okay, well, what is right and wrong? Why, Why would we ever look for truth outside of God's word? This is what the church is rooted on. God's word is our truth. It's the foundation upon which we believe. church our plate is full our mission is clear and we do not have time to be distracted it is clear that if we miss this mission and miss our salvation we will fail to bring glory to god the band's going to come we're going to worship and one more song i want to read this passage over you it's romans 8 6 through 8 and i'm going to give you three practical challenges romans 8 6 through 8 says now the mindset of the flesh is death we ask the question, what do you meditate on? What do you focus on? What do you set your mind on? The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, is unable to do so. And check, it, check this out. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we want to bring glory to God, we're not going to do it by focusing in on the flesh. If you want to find life, you're not going to do it by just simply pleasing the flesh. The flesh is not a good aim for what is healthy. My daughter asks me all the time, can she have more sugar? And I tell her, it's not good for you. That doesn't mean it doesn't taste good. That doesn't mean it doesn't sometimes feel 
good. The question of what is good is not always dictated by what feels good, smells good, tastes good. So we must find a truth that is outside of our emotional feelings, a truth that is outside of our subjective thoughts. We cannot live distracted and expect to find Jesus. If you want to be depressed, lonely, and anxious, we can keep doing what we are doing. I found myself, my, myself in a similar position when I went to the hospital about two years ago thinking I was having a heart attack and it was really just an anxiety attack. I'd never had one before. I didn't know what it was like. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know about all the pressure that I was going to be under when I took the position that I have. But I learned. I learned how to fight it. We have a question. We, we all have the question today. Are we going to escape into our distractions and postpone reality? Or are we going to find a God that loves you, cares for you, and as 1 Corinthians tells us, has provided us a way out? What does it do for you to gain the world but lose your life? Again, this morning, we're looking at the problem. But through this week, I want to ask you to do something with me. I want to ask you to, to identify, to evaluate your life and look at distractions. I want to ask you to do three things. First, ask someone you trust to evaluate your media intake. If that media intake is a distraction, let them be honest and real with you. I've got a discipleship group. I've got a wife who lovingly gives me truth. And I've got pastors who are honest with me. I'm going to ask them this. I want you to ask someone that you trust. What does my media intake look like? Let them into, into it and say, is this a distraction or is this good? Second, ask someone you trust to evaluate your relationships. Like, Just look at what, what, what the relational dynamics are like. Do I have healthy relationships that are, that are pushing me towards following after Christ and health and life? Or have I been distracted by unhealthy relationships? And third, ask someone you trust to evaluate other distractions in your life. Not all of you are distracted by screen time, though 10 hours a day is an average. 8 to 10 hours a day. But let somebody in your life, just to let them peer in and say, hey man, I think this is, might be distracting you. If our goal is to bring glory to God and enjoy His goodness forever, we can't get distracted. Let me pray for you. Father, help us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Father, I ask that you help us to focus on your concerns, not on worldly concerns. God, I ask that we could meditate on your precepts and law and truth, not on the things of this world. Father, would you help us to purify and cleanse our lives from the things that have tried to bring vile and evil and hate into us. Father, I pray that you would saturate our hearts and our minds with your truth on a daily basis. I pray, God, that you would humble us to seek out authentic evaluation of the distractions that so consume us. God, would you humble our hearts? Father, whatever you see fit, would you help us, as James would say, to draw near to you? We need help. We believe, help our unbelief. We want to draw near, help us draw near. We need you, Father, and we pray that you send your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.